Hello. Um, you've not made a mistake. It's not Take the High Road. Um, it is the uh, Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog, the uh, podcast equivalent of repeatedly box kicking straight in a touch from outside your own 22. Um, I am Cammy Black. We, we've, we've, um, we, we went with that intro music this week because um, we're no longer a rugby podcast. We, we are now a podcast about a Murrayfield-based soap opera. Um, so apologies for anyone tuning in to hear any any actual analysis of the Calcutta Cup match. I think that's highly unlikely this evening. Um, joining me uh, to unpick the latest kitchen sink drama uh, that is the Murrayfield PR department is uh, Al Kerr. Hi, how you doing? And uh, John Anderson. Hi there, folks. Um, if you want to get in touch with us about things to do with rugby, which I'm sure at some point in over the Six Nations we might get round to talking about, um, you can do so um, on email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at Cammy Black and at Scott Rugby Blog. You can visit the blog as well, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, where we actually have some actual rugby news going on. We've got Ian's match report from the weekend. We've got a match report as well from uh, the women's game against England. Um, and some other bits and bobs going on there as well. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook if you search for us. We'll, we'll no doubt pop up. Um, we we've um, we, we'll start. There is some other news. Um, John, I'll start with you. Nick Griggs resigned, and everyone thought he was off to Leicester, didn't it? Was it Leicester who was rumoured to be going to? What wasps, I believe. Wasps, but um, that was prior to the Saracens Gate. Uh, salary cap, so it does seem like everybody in their dog is now, um, let's say, panicking somewhat about their uh, their their budgets down south. So no, Greggy's Greggy's staying to epitomise Glasgow for uh, for two more years. I wouldn't have thought. Do you think that's anything to do with Die Young stepping back and they've they've had a look at who he had on his shopping list and just said no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why Die Young was asked to stay. You think Greg is quality? Mm, I think you need to retire, young man. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's a good signing. Greg's a very, he's a very, very good club player. Um, he, he good, good servant for Glasgow. The Pro 14 always does a does a shift, and um, yeah, he'll, he'll definitely. Seems we'll see how he goes under under Danny Wilson, perhaps. Perhaps we might touch on the topic of uh, people in 13 shirts later on. Who knows? Who knows? We might get around to that. Um, uh, the other side of uh, the other side of the uh, the country, then, we've got uh, Emre have re-signed Jamie Farndale and Damien Hoyland, which, I don't know, a few years ago might have been quite exciting, Al. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it gives them some coverage in the international windows, gives them a wee bit of depth, right? You know, I mean, they're, again, probably in the same category, isn't it, Greg? Good, solid club players, and Farndale, um, obviously good from the sevens, and Highland. How old's Highland? Twenty-five, yeah. about mid twenties. So there's still a chance that he could do a Dougie Fife at some point and creep his way back into an international shirt at some point down the line if there was a shortage in there in the wings. Yeah, um, we. I've been trying to work out how best to cover this because obviously it was the Calcutta Cup match at the weekend, and we were all saying and I think it was you Al, in particular had said it, it's quite a hard match to analyze because it, it was such a weird match given the weather and really all you can do is kind of look at the decision making and the mental side of things rather than looking at anything else really yeah I mean it, it's it was a stinker right I mean just on multiple levels um but 
the thing the thing that hurts most is that you know he was Townsend was outdone tactically by Eddie Jones the six two split in the bench because he'd had the foresight to look at the weather forecast <laughs> and, um, seemed to seem to stand out slightly. I mean, you can't really cast again. You know, I've seen a lot of talk about the line out, and yes, the line out was imprecise. But I mean, I don't know how you throw in in a conditions like that. I I, I think you have to cut some slack, but tactically lacking at, at times and. Uh, honestly, Ali Price's kick to pretty much end the game. I mean, dear Christ, were we deliberately just playing for the bonus point? I mean, we'd like to think we had a bit more ambition than that, but it was it was either a brain fart or just, um, just you know endemic in terms of or a sign of the um, lack of ambition that I think the team maybe is being forced to have at the moment. Well, maybe slight, slightly unfair on Ali Price, given that Scotland showed actually absolutely no signs of getting anywhere near scoring during the entire 80 minutes. Yeah, it would have been nice if they tried, though. A true. Uh, in true. fairness. I mean, other than 20 minutes in the second half, and we'll come on to that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, you know, the lack of, any lack of bite and um, sort of, you know, a rapier thrust that just completely evaded us all day. Um yeah, very, very disappointing at, uh, at points, despite of the weather. And I think you have to, you know, the weather is a big part. But when England were really struggling, our inability to capitalise, we need to be, we need to be sharper than that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, John. I'll mention in the bench there, and and the fact that Eddie Jones maybe got the split right, but it's hard to know because once again, Gregor Townsend left it very late to bring on players that that can we know can make an impact so what you know what's the point of leaving Rory Sutherland and George Horn on the bench yeah it was wet yeah it was windy but these are guys who in broken play we know can cause some damage so you know I suppose you could say that Eddie Jones made the better tactical decision from his bench but only because he used his bench and Townsend didn't yeah, I think that's fair. I'll correct you first. It's Rory Hutchinson, not Rory Sutherland. Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Just to stop you getting I had, his, I, had his, I had his break in my head. That was the problem. Ah, You've got a real issue with Rory Hutchinson as well, Cam. I remember your campaign against him. Oh, I know. And I still, get, I still get letters so. about that, about people who accuse me of not watching English rugby. <laughs> I should make the time, apparently. <laughs> you should do. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah back to your point, Cammy. Sorry. Um, yes. If Townsend refuses to use his bench, then rug- rugby is, it's a cliche to say it, but it's a, it's a squad game now. And you can, you know, can call the, call the bench what it is. You know, Eddie Jones obviously has that stupid F word that he uses for, for his substitutes. But, um, yeah, if Townsend refuses to bring on players who, as you say, can, can create something out of nothing. And let's be fair, that's what Scotland needed. We were brain dead throughout that match. And, the only way we were going to get anything out of that match was a moment of individual brilliance from someone. And you're sitting with two talented players on the bench who can do that and have regularly done that at the club level, and you put on Chris Harris. I mean, ugh, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, that it's, it's kind of really, really disappointing because it basically just gives Eddie Jones... Like it's like a gimme, really. It's like you know, you're not even competing against them. You're just giving them the win, um, and we don't like that when it's Eddie Jones. No, and I mean, and just to to, to 
double down on that, John. I mean, even the timing of the subs they did put on. Haining came on with, what, 15 minutes to go? At which point, you know, we were already on the back foot. We were getting demolished at the breakdown and we were getting demolished in the scrum. And Haining had a cracking game against yeah. Ireland. Should have been on, you know, 20 minutes earlier, to Bradbury be honest, to provide him. From about yeah. 45 in. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And Haining, as you say, Haining, I was, I was surprised he brought Bradbury back. I thought Haining deserved another goal. Um, and I said that at, at the time. Um, but yeah, I, if you're looking out on the pitch, it's again, it just strikes me as being too rigid. It's we've got a plan that we're taking this guy off at 63 minutes or 66 minutes. We can't just look out onto the pitch and go, Bradbury is goosed, let's get him off. It's oh, yeah, staggering. I suppose that's and that's that's what it comes down to is the decision making. That's two games in a row where Scotland have almost regressed. By about what seven, eight, ten years, and have decided well the way we score tries is to just batter the try line and try and drive over, <laughs> despite all evidence to the contrary that that's how we've scored tries. We've we've I mean, there was an article about God we were getting trolled by Rugby Pass now with that, yeah. some actual <laughs> with some actual analysis, not just I I can kind of cope when they, they troll us with memes when they actually kind of troll us with actual anal- real analysis that that's true. It somehow feels more galling, but. You know, they talking about this idea of we we don't score off the back of rucks, so why do we keep trying? And there is an element to that, and there's, it's that thing of you know you, you try something once and it doesn't come off, then that's fine. But the definition of madness, I think it's Alcoholics Anonymous in America use it. The definition of madness is to repeatedly try the same thing and expect different results. Yeah, I mean, if you leave your most creative players either you know, somewhere on the continent or uh, on the bench, that that unfortunately is what happens because there isn't a huge amount of creative spark elsewhere on the pitch. Um, and you do wonder, is it, I mean, we've gone back, you say, you know, eight or 10 years, Cam, which is, which is right in one sense. But I mean, I guess in fairness to the, the coaching staff, you know, they've addressed the issue that we all flagged up, you know, during the World Cup and indeed the last Six Nations in terms of defensive solidity. So actually, <laughs> you know, defensively, they have tightened up you know, significantly uh, and be much more sort of coordinated. They actually look like they know what they're doing as a defensive plan. But the bit that's missing with all this and why I think Gregor Townsend has to really be questioned in terms of his role in this is he refuses to bring in an attacks coach. So, you know, there has to be questions now pointed because we are losing any idea of attacking shape. And if we're now stuck to the point of sticking the ball up the jumper five, jumper five metres from the line and then just hoping for the best... Hello. Oh, that, uh, that it was just building to the crescendo. Building the point to, as well. I know. And it just boom. I thought gone. he was. I thought he was pausing for effect, John, but he's gone. I, I thought it was. It was. It was kind of like Scotland on the five meter line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh no. No, I've been. He's been turned over, and the point wasn't made. That's a penalty, England. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, no, he's, he was making a valid point though in, te- in terms of um, you know the way the way that the defence was working was was decent, but uh, you know I, it, it almost strikes me like we've looked at the, the the Ireland model and the Wales model and why Wales have won titles and gone right. It's defence. It's only defence, and that's we're just going to defend, and you know points will come somehow, maybe, possibly. Um, and yeah, it just it just doesn't work. It's staggering. But I do wonder if maybe, and I'm just speculating, but perhaps someone's bonus is 
perhaps uh, linked to KPI regarding defence this year? I don't know. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, it would it, it certainly would explain the kind of perverse behaviour. I mean, I suppose the other argument for it might be if we're trying to figure out, and we've said this before, we should try and figure out first what, what is it that they're actually trying to do. And it, it, it might be that what they've said is for the first two games, we're going to get our defence functioning and we're not going to get turned over by trying anything too rash. But that's that seems madness to, yeah. to go back, you know, completely go back to square one and start building from the ground up. We 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 know we've got a, we know we've got a good attack. We know we can score tries. So why, and we know we can score tries through, through the back. So why kind of reg- almost regress to just trucking up through the forwards? Ah, but it's it's a pure it's a purist's game. It's you know if we if we it's it's actually we're we're harking back to the nineteen ninety Grand Slam. We're actually using them as the model for our uh, for our future success, and just we're just going to truck it up through those forwards over and over and over. Al, you're back. Um, you you were mid. We we thought you were pausing for effect, but apparently you were mid flow. Can you remember where you were mid flow? It was a very dramatic and uh, lengthy pause. <laughs> so, um, I, I, do you know what? I cannot. I think I was about to talk about uh, Townsend being on the hook for um, our lack of attacking prowess. You were. But, uh, there we are. Well, so, yeah, so obviously, oh God, now I'm to go back. But this is very embarrassing. Um, the We'd fixed the defensive problems, right? So we brought yeah. in, got rid of uh, Matt Taylor and sent him back to the, the colonies and uh, brought in from the <laughs> colonies somebody who seems to have a clue as to what they're doing. Um, but I think all that's... Sorry, yeah, carry, carry on. Well, I was going to say, one of the things we, John and I were talking about when, when you were um, when you were pausing for dramatic effect for so long um, was whether or not that there's been a pl- one kind of explanation might be that they have almost deliberately planned for the first two games just to get the defence right, which might explain why they've done what they've played the way they've played. I mean, it's madness, and I don't think it's a plan at all, but it might give some explanation. There has to be some logic in that madness somewhere, maybe. Um, I'd like to think that we've got slightly more ambition than using the Six Nations as a training exercise. Mm. Um, But if, God, it's SRU and it's this current Scotland team, so who knows? I I don't know. I just think that they look brain dead. I think, you know, John made the point earlier, just generally they look brain dead. They're frazzled. And it's it's, the issue is it's not a one-off, right? This Mm. is now culmination of 18 months though at least this time last year we had in the 20 minute spells where we're having we you know we put five tries past England or whatever um this time round you know without that happening suddenly looks pretty threadbare on that part right I mean and this it kind of comes to the crux of it I mean we've I mean hindsight's 2020 right but but having said that, I think we've we've talked before on the podcast a lot about that Calcutta Cup game in the second half. And I think that all the stuff that came out afterwards was from Townsend. And there was one quote, I think, from Damien Hughes, the psychologist that works with him, about them kind of trying to realign the players' behaviours and get them to understand that if they combine behaviours with the tactics, that things would just align. And that was the narrative that came out at the time. Looking back in it, and looking particularly back on the last Six Nations, if you look at all the tries, and you look at where everything came from, they they come from 
singular moments of very precise and good decisions made by one particular individual. Yes. And if you take away those moments, nothing that, that you know, we, we, I can't remember when was the last time we scored a, a, a try off the back of a mall. I think we, Italy maybe mm. when in Gregor Townsend's first game when Ross Ford got that hat, that mad hat trick, you know, we haven't, I can't think, think of a time when we've scored a try from just trucking it up on the try line repeatedly. All the tries that stick in the memory are Finn Russell throwing missed passes, Finn Russell getting somebody on the angle, Finn Russell cutting, you know, breaking through, taking an intercept. But you know, in it, fairness, McAnally went through a spell where he scored in like three or four games straight off the back of oh, off, off the back of Malls, right? True. So yeah. maybe they're. I don't know. I kind of get the impression that Townsend's stuck in sort of late twenty seventeen. He's still working in his head with the team that he had, he'd inherited from Cotter, and I don't ever think he's moved on from there or developed along with the change in his players. It's interesting as well that we were able to attack from Malls at that point, but we couldn't defend them for Toffee. And now we seem to be the complete opposite. I don't. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Townsend didn't make much sense as a player, so I don't see yeah, why yeah. to make much sense. As <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the point. Maybe we are completely missing the whole point of this, and we should just stop trying to make any sense of this whatsoever. Um, it's all very cats in the cradle if you look at it that way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the Finn and Townsend, uh, Russell Townsend relationship. Well, you, you were talking obviously about Alcoholics Anonymous earlier on. So it's, it's, it's the first step, not acceptance, right? Well, that's that true, yeah. One of the steps. So we're doing a therapy podcast then again. Oh, again. Are we all holding hands? <laughs> this is safe Who space. Wants to say the pledge? <laughs> it's. Oh, it, I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, I'm not. I, people have tweeted and texted enough about the kind of the bring back Vern brigade and this isn't me saying we should have brought back Vern at all but I, I think it's interesting that, that people are now pointing out that Townsend and Vern Cotter's kind of win ratio or whatever it's 46-47% is roughly the same or Gregor Townsend is slightly ahead but they weren't working from the same base level at all you know Vern Cotter inherited his squad from Scott Johnson, who had kind of blooded a lot of young players as a result of the mess Andy Robinson left us in. Gregor Townsend took on a squad that was in a very strong position and has, you know, a squad that almost made a World Cup semi-final and, you know, has taken them to the point where they barely made, they didn't even make it out of the group in a World Cup. It's just yeah, not there's really no ar- progress. There's, there's no argument whatsoever that can be made. So people have always went to Gregor Townsend's win ratio and said, oh, he's the best best statistical manager we've had. We score tries, we do this, we do that. There's no defence now. His win ratio is plummeting. And let's be let's be honest, aside from Italy, we could lose every game for the rest of this year. Let's, nah. let's, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. We could be winless till 2021. I think we'll beat Japan. I said that last year, mate. But we'll beat Japan. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in theory, we should we should be beating Japan at home, but there's nothing to say that we absolutely will. Um, So we we could be sitting here in 2021, going, "Yeah, happy New Year." I think we'll win a game this year. Oh, Um, so that defence of you know, we're making progress, we're learning from our mistakes is utter nonsense now. 
Absolutely, John. I mean, and amen, brother. Right. I mean, this, the 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 whole argument, and I think this is, to my mind, and along with the suspicion, but I am firmly now made my mind up that I think Townsend's days are are numbered, and yeah. I don't have much joy in saying that. But the trajectory of this is pretty clear now. So you look at the last eighteen months, last Six Nations. Um, what we we scraped. Well, actually, we did a decent performance against Italy for 60 minutes and then fell apart for 20 minutes and yep. almost managed to go and throw, you know, an incredibly strong position away. We had, um, you know, a great second half against um, England, but only having had, you know, an absolute horror show. Other than that, didn't do much. We had a horror show in France in the warm-up games, huffed and puffed in the other warm-up games. And then, I mean, I was in Yokohama and it was possibly the worst Scotland performance I've seen in the person. I've seen some stinkers going back, you know, <laughs> 20, 30 years. I've seen some absolute rotters, but that was up there um, with some of the most abject rugby I've ever seen. We should have beaten, you know, Japan in that game and we, we, we threw that away and there is no sign of development. There's no sign of progress. The the Tuni Tambola is an ever stronger effect with every single game. There's moving of players around. Now he's falling out with his star player. Um, I mean, I don't understand how anyone can possibly think that the trajectory will turn around and go back. There needs to be root and branch reform um, to make the most. Because ultimately, can any single one of us here and anyone listening to this podcast seriously say that we are stronger than our component parts which is what a good coach should be doing and i just don't think we are i think that the 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 crime here is that this is a golden generation of scotland players and that's not something we've had before that's that's yeah. the point of difference you know you look at previous scotland squads and we you know we've we've you know you say we well we're punching above our weight but you look at those component parts that you mentioned Alan, and you know we've we, i'm not saying we're we haven't necessarily got depth but our first 15 is capable with the right tactics and the right coaching and the right kind of messages to to go out and give anybody a good game, but that I, th- those component parts are being misused. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you think how good with a decent coach. Let's put ourselves through a horrible window to an alternative universe. But if Eddie Jones had been sitting there in the Scotland box on Saturday. Do you think that a Scotland team would have performed significantly better than they have been, despite all the problems that maybe Eddie Jones has had with England? I, I hate the man to you know levels that are unhealthy, um, but he would be a better coach for Scotland than Townsend is. I I think it, I mean it's interesting. I think that the McAnally thing uh, that we've touched on before about the, this idea that he came back from the World Cup absolutely frazzled and couldn't even <clears throat> bear to be near rugby again. We've got what Finn Russell said about the environment within the. Within the squad setup, we've it, we we've got in the last two games players that seem absolutely incapable, bar maybe a, a couple of notable exceptions. But we've got players who are absolutely incapable of making their own decisions on the pitch and playing what's in front of them. And you can see you can see Townsend talking in his microphone all the time, relaying messages down to the pitch. And yeah, a coach will do that, but there's just no sign that that the team are adapting or able to do. Change anything or or play any other way than the way that they are told to play. I mean, I thought Ali Price had a very good game at the weekend, despite his last minute kick. But he was he was probably the only player that kind of showed any individual moments of kind of taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Everybody else just seemed to be stuck in systems. It looked it looked to me like they were scared. 
and I, I, I don't say that lightly. It looked to me like they were scared to make mistakes. And um, players, you know, I think the players can sense, you know, Al said about the trajectory of this. Uh, you know, we, we, we know the outcome of this. We know how this goes. This this isn't turning around. And the players can sense that. And that is hampering them as well. Um, and, I mean, it, uh, much like Al, it gives me no pleasure to say that the best thing that could happen now is Townsend leaves. Yeah. And we start again. Because yeah. this- you go ahead, Al. No, 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 on you go. On you well, go. I was going to say, there, there's been a lot of people talking about it because we've we interviewed Damien Hughes and there's this idea that they're trying to build a commitment culture. But a commitment culture is built based on behaviours and it's based on, you know, behaviours about how you act and the things that you do. And the idea is it's supposed to build a framework within which you can have autonomy to make your own decisions and do what's yeah. in front of you. What a behaviour isn't. A behaviour isn't you only have two beers. That's a rule. And I think, unfortunately, Gregor Townsend has, and, and maybe even the senior leadership team within Scotland, because I think that there's some blame within this would lie within them as well, are, have become rule-based and rule-bound. And that's it's that's either, if you look at the different forms of organisational culture, that is either a bureaucracy where we have rules for what we do and how we behave and, and when we come across certain situations, we get the manual out and work out what we should do. Or it's an a kind of it's an autocracy where you've got one one person or or a group of people imposing their will on everybody else. So you must yep. comply and do what we say, otherwise you're out. And uh, somebody like Finn Russell can't live within that environment at all. And you can yep. understand why you'd find that frustrating, because you're asking a guy who wants to play what's in front of him, make his own decisions. And I can't from I, you know I I don't think he'd have any objection to signing up to a set of behaviours, but the aside from not turning up to a team meeting on Monday morning and leaving camp, the only, you know, the, the major thing that everyone keeps coming back to is the fact that he wanted a third beer. And I don't see for a second that that's got anything to do with the behaviour unless you're saying we don't drink beers. <laughs> what if you do? It just seems utterly ridiculous. It's just a complete lack of leadership though, right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, despite having a leadership group, despite having, you know, the, you know, the leader as in Townsend, their complete lack of man management within that squad yeah. setup. And I mean, it, 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 you could see it during the World Cup. I mean, anyone who watched any of the, even in, you know, even in thumping you know, Russia or getting past Samoa, they looked confused. They looked disorganized. They looked disinterested in spells. And, they just look like a group that needs the proper leadership, both within the playing structures, and maybe they don't have the natural leadership in there. They don't have, you know, a Jason White or somebody who's, you know, naturally a, a you know, a, a leader within that group, for example. But Townsend's, I don't think, understands the fundamentals of certainly at an international level, or maybe not working with these guys day in, day out that he would do at a club level knows how to manage his group of players because you we all work you know i work in a professional environment and managing you know a large team you have to play to the individual strengths of your team collectively and sometimes that means the rules are applied slightly differently and i i think this rigid approach that townsend applies is not just to the structures that he puts on the pitch but is the structures that are going on behind the scenes and I'm afraid it's not working and it's patently not working. I... You can get away with it. You can get away with it when results are going your way. You can get away with it temporarily to be saying the whole my way or the highway. You can get away with that when you're getting results. But as soon as the results stop coming, 
that's when that really becomes a huge issue. And that's this is this is where Scotland are at now. I think the other side of it as well is that we you know there's a lot made of. I think particularly in business of of all we learn from sport, and it was a point made. I think it was, I caught the clip of the Brian Moore podcast where I think he's speaking to Rob Vickerman, and they were saying, "Why is it not the other way around? You know, why are business constantly looking to sport for the lessons? Why aren't sport looking to business? You get somebody like I think the example they were giving in the podcast. You have a high performing sales guy, and he's the guy that brings it. He's the guy that means that you meet the targets every month, but the guy's an absolute weirdo. He's got all sorts of other issues." But you don't sack him because you can't because he's performing well. And, you know, you have to find a way of managing his behavior and sort of keeping him on a leash whilst also allowing him to do the things that he does well and almost excluding someone from a camp. It's it's the coward's way out because it's the easy way out. The easy way out is rather than dealing with the behavior of the person that's causing an issue, you just exclude them altogether is is... I think it's it's almost the coward's way out because you're just saying I can't de- I'm not I'm not prepared to deal with this in a grown up adult yeah. way and have adult conversations. I'm just telling someone well you can't be here off you go and you couldn't do that in a business setting because we'd be taken to an employment tribunal and we know how the SRU particularly with people named Russell. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I mean it's it is, it's a, a dictionary definition of cutting our noses off to spite our face and it's um. I think we, I just don't think we, we don't have the depth of resources where we can be excluding. And I, you know, it goes to your point, Cam, the whole situation has been poorly managed on both sides, I hasten to say. But at the end of the day, we need to look at the greater good here. And I just don't think, I don't think the greater good is being served by the way that things are playing out at the moment. There was an interesting quote, actually, it was an article, um, in the um i think it's the irish times possibly the um of an interview with james downey who played with townsend at glasgow warriors um and he was kind of asked you know, asked about him and this was i think this was kind of before the whole finn russell thing came out this article but the quote was technically gregor was one of the best coaches i ever had but personality wise we just didn't click i wanted to leave which then kind of supports i suppose supports finn russell's point that uh, you know we never really got on from day one but you're never going to get on with everyone right no but you yeah. have to be able to manage that and and you know that i think is the bit that townsend struggles with at the moment is that how he's fine if he gets on with you but for those that he doesn't now you're not telling me that Vern carter for example got on with every single one of his players stern Vern must have taken a fairly dim view on on some of the antics but he knew how to get the best out of those players and he knew how to manage and i'm not in the bring cotter back but just as a direct predecessor and direct comparison um it does shine put townsend sorry into it i would say cast him in a fairly poor light um we'll, we'll come to the we might come to kind of finn russell's actions in a moment um but in terms of the way that this has all been handled particularly in the past few days is I think sort of speaks of a deeper issue within the SRU and the way that they have decided to handle things. And I think it's almost, John, and I'll, I'll get you to start with this, John. It, yeah. it kind of feels like, like in a film and there's there's kind of always a good guy who's kind of working for the bad guys. And you think, well, he's all right. And everyone kind of trusts him and think, well, he's the guy that's going to help us. But at the end, he flips and it turns out he's been a bad guy all along. That kind of feels like... <laughs> I was trying to think of a film where that had happened, but I couldn't. But it's, it, it happens all the time in TV series and stuff, where they, you know, there's the a bit like I suppose it's like 
it would be like finding Snape was a bad guy all along or something like that. You know, do you know what I mean? It's it's that thing of where they just turn at the end and as if it all oh, oh, you were bad all along. That kind of feels like with Gregor Townsend. You kind of think, well, I expected it of the rest of them. I expected it the behaviour of the SRU would be like that given the track record over the past few years. But I am surprised that he has almost wholesale bought into the 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 way that this has been managed by the SRU, where you've had it starts with you know that the, the talk has all been about Finn Russell's behaviours, and as much as Gregor Townsend said, I'm not talking about individuals. In his most recent interview, he's then he's been the one talking about basically it's all Finn's fault, and he's not come back till he behaves himself in press interviews. We then have the response to the Times article, which is not just to put out a statement, to put out a statement, get interviewed by the BBC. And then do your own recorded video of it and put it on your YouTube channel, which just seems. I mean, what's the message to the rest of the squad? You step out of line, and we'll we'll absolutely pummel you to death in the media. Uh, th- that seems to be the approach that they're uh, they're going for. Yeah, um, it's a it's a bold strategy. Um, Hands <laughs> out. Charitable, <laughs> to call it bold. <laughs> Yeah, it strikes me that perhaps the interns back in charge of the media team. Um, no, um, that's a bit harsh. Um, it's funny because um, Townsend, you know, going back to him with regards to commitment culture and let, let's talk loyalty for a second. I, I, as you say, you, you maybe thought it might be not 100% behind the SRU party line, but think about his coaching career. He has... He's coached. Um, he, he was Scotland attack coach under Scott Johnson, or under was it Andy Robinson? Andy Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, Andy Robinson. And failed miserably at his job. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. He was the, the attack was hopeless at that point. He then inexplicably got the Glasgow job, and I, I'm sure a lot of Glasgow fans, you know, we obviously had had success under Townsend, but at the time when he was appointed, a lot of Glasgow fans were very surprised and shocked. And there was a lot of mutterings at the time of typical SRU, nepotism, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He then stamps his feet at the end of his Glasgow uh, reign and says, give me the Scotland job. And we do. So it shouldn't really be a surprise to us that Townsend is an SRU man through and through. Um, so, uh, yeah. But the other the other part for me is, is that's not just what Dodson done in Japan. You know, we're just going for the, let's play the angry wee man card and just anybody that criticises us, we're just going to shout back at you. It's, it seems to be a tactic that's coming from the top. So, um, yeah, strange. Yeah. I mean, is, do you find it concerning how this kind of almost, it's almost bullying, isn't it? This kind of, con- this mm. need to control absolutely everything and everyone. And when you can't, you lash out rather than doing, I mean, the grown ups, I think I, I had a crack at the statement, which, you know, I, I, the statement they should have done after the Times article, which is, <laughs> I was disappointed to read Finn's comments in the Times this weekend. Whilst I don't recognize his description of the squad environment or our relationship, I remain hopeful we can find a resolution that works for everyone. That's all they needed to say in response to the Times article. And they could have used the same line again and again and again when they were asked about it in the press. Yeah. I, I don't get the need to kind of lash out in the way that they have. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, congratulations, Cam, also for passing the first stage of your interview. Um, <laughs> for the, the SRU press office, um, I think automatically you've uh, moved to the next phase. Uh, I mean, I, it's just childish. And then, you know, going back to, so you start to, it feels systemic to go back to John's point, right? So you go back to the, the you know, the kerfuffle um, in Japan. And actually, I was broadly supportive, I think, of the SRU taking a bullish stance around that situation. Um, but having painted themselves into a corner there, again, they didn't back, it wasn't necessarily backing down, but they could have extricated themselves from that, I think, slightly more uh, smartly and bought a little bit more goodwill. And this situation, you as the governing body and then responding to a individual player and a individual person's comments and feelings on the situation, you're never going to come out looking good in that. And honestly, any half-decent press officer would have said, don't respond to this, don't be going off and doing massive long interviews, having it transcribed in the BBC, having your own stuff put up on the YouTube channels. You know, it is, it is petty and pouring fuel on the fire. Now, whether you agree or disagree with what Finn Russell said in the Sunday Times article and whether you believe his side or you believe Townsend's side, they have to take, and I don't mean to tie this all the way back to theme tune, but they have to take the high road on this and sit there and take the higher, you know, the higher path and not get embroiled. Because that's what you do when you're the governing body and you're the head coach and you take an even hand and you don't flay an individual character, you know, in public. Yes, I, I, how you gain respect from your the, the, the other members of the squad by doing that I just do not understand it's so badly advised so badly managed really it's terrible I've I mean I've had media training for work and I still get updates from the company that did the training and they're quite interesting to read and you know a lot of this this is basic 101 stuff you're told you don't have to comment on everything that comes out about you you can take the line of thinking we're going to just let this lie or we're going to put out a very brief comment that doesn't really that kind of acknowledges what's being said without either condoning, agreeing with it or disagreeing with it, without kind of throwing, try, attempting to throw somebody under a bus, but at the same time some, somehow managing to sort of trip up and throw yourself under the bus at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you think if they'd said nothing, not even even if they'd given no response back on um, Russell's interview at the weekend, by this point, what we're on Wednesday... The news cycle has moved on, right? Mm. No one's talking about it. They've taken the heat out of the situation, honestly. So I don't know whether it's Townsend stamping his feet and saying, I'm not having this and I want to have my right of reply. Is it the SRU press office saying, well, you have to reply to this and we want to get on the front foot? Or is it a mixture of both? Whatever way it is, somebody needs to bang their heads together. This is just a nonsense. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, the the Finn Russell thing's interesting. And we've we've had people um, clamoring for us to disagree on uh, on on something for the last few episodes, um, so and I, and I feel we may have found that point. I think he had to do that interview with Mark Palmer, the way things were doing. I've thought about this long and hard, and I I even had a slight. I showed my dad was visiting at the weekend. I showed it to him on the Sunday morning. I think we had opposing views. He he felt that it was. We both read the article very differently. I think, and and I think when you look at some of the reactions to, it, I think a lot of people read came away with it from different things. But when I've I kind of sat down and thought about it, and I think if you look at what's happened since the Ireland game, and you particular—I mean, he, aside from Finn Russell liking some tweets, we we heard very little little from him. Yeah. So you know, you, a bit of kind of passive aggressive 
liking of tweets and you get a hint of what, how he might be feeling. But we get nothing else for two weeks. So he's gone away and he's he hasn't taken the decision lightly because this isn't like a, he's run off to the Times within a couple of days. Um, he's What's happened in those two weeks is you've had a consistent message from Gregor Townsend and the SRU, which is this is all his fault. This is all his doing. It's only him that can undo it and doubling down on that. And from his point of view, he's a young man. He's got his career ahead of him. It, 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 it's going to chip away his reputation. He's got one year less to run on his Racing 92 contract. And he doesn't want to be seen as the problem, essentially. Whether or not he was... It could have been done in a different way and whether or not he could have, I don't know, kind of been a bit softer on some of the things he said is a different matter. But I think he had to do the interview once he decided that he wasn't prepared to tour the line. I think that's valid. I think that's absolutely valid. And I, I am going to agree with you on this, Cam, um, to the to the dismay of our listeners. Um, the, the part for me that jumped out in the interview was he obviously mentioned, um, I think there was, I, I'm, I'm kind of quoting verbatim here, but um, he said that he has to, he can't be in the, basically he can't be in the camp for his for his rugby and his health um and that that was a really telling statement for me um i i'm really proud of the fact he'd done that interview and stood up for himself i think that's a really good thing to do and um it has caused a lot of issues and i, I wish it had been handled so 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 much more dif- uh, more definitely but it hasn't been and i think it's a very good thing for him to stand up and say, you know what, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally to blame here. What, what's your take on this, Al? Because I got the impression that you weren't quite sure that that, that the interview was the right way to go for Russell. I mean, no, no, no. So I think both parties are coming across like a pair of bickering teenage girls, right? <laughs> however, however, and I hate to dismay our listeners, you know, more than normal. Um, but I'm not sure I would actually disagree. I, you know, having read it back and having looked at obviously what's come out subsequently, and I think John makes a point. If you think about when the story first blew up, if both, if if the SRU and Gregor Townsend had basically drawn a line under it and moved on, and said nothing else about it, and effectively said we're not going to comment on this any further. It's done. You know, as and when there's any changes, we'll update. I think there would have been no issue, but there was a constant low-level drumbeat um, for uh, people to to or for um, for Russell to to respond, and uh, a, a constant drumbeat, sorry, from the SRU against Russell. I don't think he had any choice, and actually, I thought his interview was pretty measured. Yeah, I think the accompanying mark part that it wasn't kind of put online, but if you, I think um, Rory very kindly uh, took a photograph of his paper for us. Um, High tech. Yeah, um, the kind of accompanying article from um, Mark Palmer, which kind of gave a bit of context to it and talked about the fact that, you know, the the, the sense that he'd got from Finn Russell that was that he, he was doing the interview very reluctantly, that he wasn't... Um, he, he, you know, he he was sad that it got to that position. It wasn't he wasn't there, kind of lauding up and saying, you know, I'm I'm King Finn and 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 all should bow down before me and and until there's rose petals thrown in front of me, I should be, you know, I'm not returning. It it was it was done with after a you know a great deal of thought, 
and reflection on his part and and no doubt i mean he's you know he's he's well he's, he's the, probably the at the moment the on form fly off in the northern hemisphere he's one of the biggest name rugby players in the world at the moment he's going to be well advised do you know what i mean this isn't and probably advised by people with a bit more knowledge of these things than the siu are currently demonstrating yeah. and actually i thought he, he was very measured you know, and I mean, yeah, we all have the, you know, you think, Christ, some of the stuff I've said on this, you know, on this podcast. <laughs> you know, and the fact that we've got the, you know, the the uh, magic roundabout music and whatnot. But I mean, that that side of thing um, was not there at all in that interview. It was very measured. It was very uh, level. I, I I think he actually, really, if people look back in it and you look at that interview, I think he is definitely coming out looking more like the adult in the room as much as they can do i still think they should just go back and and just shake hands and agree to move on and and you know for the better good but you know that ain't gonna happen right so um i'd like to hear nothing about it now for the next few weeks so i would like them just to both go away and and you know start seeing other people yeah i i would like that too i think that's (laughs) that I, i i i would agree with that i think the best thing for scotland for finn russell and for for Gregor Townsend would be that they 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 all pick a line on this, and just everyone has a kind of moment of reflection, just to kind of get away from that issue, focus back on the rugby. I think unfortunately that I think it I think like you said, oh, I think it probably would have happened if the SIU just left the Times article as it was or made a very brief statement. We'd be talking more about the Calcutta Cup today, I think, than than us talking about Gregor Townsend's future as Scotland boss and I think unfortunately that even though they've chosen the BBC who I think seem to be the the SRE's preferred media partner in terms of who they go to first when they release these things which is interesting actually you know the BBC were the ones that broke the story on um, Russell leaving camp um, Mm. which might indicate where that story came from Um, that you know that I think because the they have they've only spoken to the BBC the first press conference we get probably which will probably early next week when the squad's announced the kind of we get a squad update Gregor Townsend is going to get asked about Finn Russell again <laughs> they've got a week now to think of a line and come up with a line and a convincing line that says we're not talking about this anymore we've moved we've all moved on and we will provide an update when when, when we get one I, I sadly I don't think they'll do that I think they'll say something but they'll do something even more idiotic or ill-advised and this is this will overshadow every single game for the rest of the six nations for scotland they could just recall russell well they could do that would be the surprise maybe they could uh <laughs> maybe maybe they could uh send out what looks like adam hastings at the start of the early game and then just before kickoff like in scooby-doo he pulls off his mask <laughs> and it's like Finn russell sitting there or, or even better he does it at full time after having this sort of maestro-esque performance <laughs> and everyone's going jesus look how good hastings has been yeah. he's not just kicking this is fantastic look at that out the back of the hand pass look at that flat 25 yarder that looked like an absolute guaranteed intercept and then it just he saunters off the pitch and pulls off the mask yeah and that's old. and that's been the plan all along. <laughs> Somehow, we knew the Setley game was going to be a problem, so we we really how, played how, a long game here. How to uh, how to uh, overshadow Parisi's last game? <laughs> <laughs> ben runs on like Stone Cold Steve Austin, cracks two beers <laughs> down the throat, or is it three beers? Who knows? Three beers. 
Yeah. <laughs> Stunners Parisi and walks off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um, I think we we're going to do the Tuesday clock. I think we need to kind of uh, to, to to round this off the Tuesday clock for people who missed last week's episode. It's it's something we're going to do during the Six Nations. Is instead of the doomsday clock, which says how close humanity is to uh, utter destruction, we're looking at the Tuesday clock, which is how close Gregor Townsend's career is to utter destruction. Um, from a Scotland point of view, I it, Rory made an interesting point last week where he said that our view of where the clock stands on the Tuesday clock will probably differ wildly from the SIU's view on where it currently stands, or even some of Gregor Townsend's friends in the media who seem to think that he should be given a new contract about now. Um, I, I'm i going to ask you both then. I want I want two Tuesday clock times for you. What, where do you think it actually is, and where do you think the SRU think it is, John? Right, so the SRU think it's... I think they think it's about 15 minutes to the, the hour at the moment. 15 the minutes to midnight. 15 minutes to midnight, yes. In reality, he's about three seconds to midnight. Um, and and I, I, I thought about this straight after the match, and it wasn't because of Finn. It was because of one simple thing that he said in his press, uh, his interview with the BBC straight afterwards. He came out and he stated that the second half had been truly excellent. <laughs> And at that point, I swore at my television and turned it off and walked downstairs disgusted. If he believes that that second half was truly excellent, the guy is, and I'm just going to say it, the guy is an idiot and does not deserve to be in the job. Okay. Uh, what, what, where do you see the clock as, Al, in terms of where do the SRU think the clock is and where do you think it is? So where do I think it is? I mean, probably about 10 seconds to midnight in reality, right? I mean, I'm not far off of where John is. Um yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the Six Nations it would feel like the natural juncture. I, I, I think the SRU one's interesting, right, for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> and let me explain. So on the face of it, I think you are. You're probably talking like quarter to midnight, thereabouts, 10 to midnight. It might even be at five past 11, to be honest with you, <laughs> on, 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 the, on the face of it. However, I did see... Um, Oh, I think on Twitter somebody was saying that Razi Erasmus was at Murrayfield on Saturday and the RFU strenuously denied that he was there at his own uh, invitation. So it would be very interesting to understand whose invitation he was there at. If it turned out it was the SRUs, maybe uh, maybe it turns out the SRU are a hell of a lot closer to, <laughs> to, to five to midnight than any of us have previously uh, appreciated. Um, they have to surely, though, be starting to slowly work their way around the, that clock. Surely. Yeah, unless unless... Unless somebody knows where the bodies are hidden, <laughs> in which case, in which case, you be maybe further away, quite a significantly further away from midnight than you than, than one might expect. I've been maybe going backwards. Yeah, to the future type scenario. I've kind of come to the view. I think the 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 releasing of the video, the BBC interview, and the statement combined, to me says that they're doing everything they can to keep Gregor Town to protect Gregor Townsend at all costs. And that worries me a lot. I think the SIU think that the clock is about six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Whereas actually I would agree with you, somewhere between ten seconds and three seconds to midnight is where it should be. But I 
what I don't if you've if you're reviewing a coach's position right if you're thinking right we're giving him to the end of the Six Nations to see how well he does you give him enough rope don't you yeah you, you don't go into battle and for, to war for somebody that you think is probably on his way out at the end of the tournament but but are they are they or are they just saying well actually you go on the interview you explain how this is going and effectively making him own it right well, so they're yeah. making him go front of house uh, it's very difficult for him to disentangle himself from the this different way of reading it right yeah. but um i think that again wishful thinking the idea that we're only at six in the morning is <laughs> Are we, are we giving them too much credit there? That, 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 that's yes. Just... <laughs> yeah. Simple as. I think I, the interesting thing was, for me was that Richard Cockerell coming out today and saying he'd do exactly the same thing, and there's no way he would have got himself in that mess. Cockers oh, isn't getting himself in that sort of mess. Of he... course he's saying that. He's paid by them. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah. Um. We'll move on then. I think that's we've said all we can say until next week when I don't know what will happen. Somebody suggested that Finn Russell will respond with a song and dance number or something equally ridiculous. Um, do, do we have a nickname for this? Are we calling this Fingor then? Is that, fin- is that well, I going? think Fingor was just the kind of thing where they, they merged two names together. Yeah. Fingor. Um, Fingate, Finnocent. I like the idea of, I, I was just, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I kind of had this idea in my head that um, the Scotland squad is now like the Borg, or that that's yeah. the way that, that Gregor Townsend is trying to make them, trying to assimilate to a set, the same set of rules that they all must abide by. So only two beers each, boys. It's cool, which, so I had a Greg Borg Townsend. Which is close nice. To, yeah. Actually, that was uh, one of Ian Wallace's hands in the ruck, was uh, that Gregor's trying to create AI rugby players. <laughs> If that's if that's what we've ended up with, that is truly terrifying. Or maybe not. <laughs> Actually, maybe it's not. Maybe it gives hope for humanity that, that they won't enslave us all because they'll all be so inept. Yes, totally brilliant. <laughs> They've all got the handle. Finny Hoggy's handling over the last couple of weeks. The Turing test. They are all useless. Yeah. If you if you ever if you're ever attacked by one of Gregor Townsend's um, robots, just show him a try line. <laughs> Just stand behind it. They'll never get to you. <laughs> or just go really low on a breakdown and you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. We'll move on. We'll do this now. Fantasy League. Fantasy Right, it's the Fantasy League um, part of the podcast where we look at how badly we're all doing on the um, Super Brew Fantasy League that we've got. Um, Al, have you got a team in this? this yeah, year? I was about to say, I've, I've revolted this year. Um, You've decided not more, to take part. Even more revolted. But last year I, I put a team in and then um, got distracted. And then um, I think I actually did all right with the original team that came in probably without yeah. actually touching it. Yeah, this I year I was um, yeah completely lazy and didn't actually set yeah. up. So I, I am a, a neutral observer on the sidelines okay. watching. I, I I was excitedly I got to 14th uh, last week, which is the highest I think I've ever been in any fantasy league. Even one I used to do with my family where there was 14 of us. 
because sadly, however, this week I have dropped 20 places to 34. So um, normal services resumed. John, how are you getting on? Have you got a team? So, I, I, like Al, have Finn Russell this and walked straight out of camp. <laughs> uh, I... Uh... Yeah, I, I was having none of it. As soon as, as soon as my boy left camp, I was like, no, I'm in mourning now. I, I'm in a grieving period. I can't pick anyone else. It's yeah. not fair. Um, so been to the- I think that's fair. Ian, Ian Hayes down four points to 44. Uh, Rory is all the way down. Uh, where's Rory? <laughs> 77th, he's down 10. Um, that's satisfying. And, um, <laughs> right, but I'm not in the game, but that is still satisfying. I saw, I've just I've gone past Sandy. Sandy was was there or thereabouts around Rory earlier. I don't know if he's gone up or down though. Uh, oh, he's Sandy's up nineteen places to seventy nine. <laughs> so as we say every year, we're all doing absolutely. To, we we we've no idea how. I put Rattes as my captain this week because he got loads of points last oh, week. Come <laughs> And then I know. There we go. Um. SJ is the current leader with 373 points. So what Johnson. I don't who knows. What well, as somebody posed, would this would would we view where we were if it, if Scott Johnson was in charge instead of Jim Mallander? Well, based on fantasy league, clearly we would be doing really well. Yeah. Um so congratulations to SJ. I've got no way of checking who your team is because I like to check that you have to have at least our rule is normally you have to have at least one Scotland player in there otherwise you're barred from the league um, so I must find a way of auditing that because I can't see on my app um, that's Fantasy League Get into, join us if you're already on Superbrew um, you can find our league um, if you go to um, I think if you go to Twitter and find the Scott Rugby blog account Rory's put the code on there and um, yeah you can just um, see probably do much better than we do Um in that um we'll move on we've got we've got a very quick one of these well we're low tie and we're low blown we're singing doggy and speedos but i just want to know did you see the legend that's doogie donnelly yes where's doogie donnelly um our any our, our section where we ask you to send in people uh, you've seen there or thereabouts laurie mckinnon our regular listener got in touch he saw ian robertson and tim swinson uh, not tim swinson sorry um the other one tim visser at um i was looking straight i was looking straight at the uh Straight, straight at his picture of as well. He had a flat cap on. It confused me. Um, it's only because Tim Swinson looks like a farmer, and then I saw Tim Visser in a flat cap, and I thought, farmer, Tim Swinson. <laughs> um, but yes, so Laurie saw uh, Ian Robertson and Tim Visser this week. If you see any um, pe- rugby people or people associated with the world of Scottish rugby, uh, do let us know. Um, Dougie Vipond followed me on Twitter this week, so that was an absolute. That was the highlight of the weekend for me. Um, so uh, I don't know if he knows about the jingle where we mentioned somebody once saw him. I think it was an air leisure dome in his speedos once. was one of the early Dougie Donnellys we had. So I don't, I don't know if um, Dougie Voipan has heard that part of the jingle yet. be a nice little surprise for him anyway we have. Um, <laughs> lastly, we'll move on to this. Yes, it's hands in the ruck. The any but other business section of the podcast. Al, I'm going to let you go first because I said you could swear this week. Yes, I, I, I am going to. I will warn you. I feel liberated. I am going to beep out the swearing, but you may swear, and I'll I'll make a note of the time when you any swears that you do. So go. Right. Oh, fantastic. Right. Um, 
And I had a rant about this during the week. Um, the hand-wringing, below-the-line comments that have come on multiple platforms by the absolute virtual, virtual signalling to of the highest order. Right, this whole palava show absolute bloody nonsense around this blown over bottle somebody tried to make out eddie jones maybe the person's name that this was some assault upon english dignity um the whole complaining about booing of the kicker for crying out loud this is a game ladies and gentlemen where we go out there to try and leather the absolute seven layers of shit into each other where we as front rows and I've been in the front row in my time say the most horrendous thing about the female members of each other's families and where you know at some point stamping and all sorts of dark arts are deemed to be acceptable yet somebody boos a kicker and the whole world collectively loses it and then a plastic bottle is blown over Oh dear Christ, it was a gale and a plastic bottle blew over and again, the world collectively loses it. Can we please grow the up? This is a nonsense. I've, as I've said before, I would quite happily sit there in a rugby stadium with an Englishman's pouring vitriol in my ear for 80 minutes and telling me about what we did during the Highland clearances and all the nasty things that they've done whilst I'm telling them very uncomfortable things I'm going to do with the chariot and then take great delight in them pooping it back out again. If at the end of the game we could just turn around, shake hands and go for a pint and have a good night out. It is a game for crying out loud. And some of the stuff that has come out, people sitting there going, it's the end of the game. There were articles in The Guardian around it. It's for crying out loud, grow up, man up. And can we not just have a bit of crack watching this? Honestly, I'm, I'm sick to the back teeth. Some of the comments, and honestly, I don't know what's worse, is the people, English fans sitting there complaining about the fact of the booing of the kicker, or the Scotland fans sitting there going, oh, we're very sorry. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm off my caps, sir. I'm very sorry that we booed Farrell. Jesus, I would boo him if I saw him crossing the bloody street. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could boo him on the rugby pitch. Anyway, ran over. That one's been bugging the hell out of me for the last week. Thank yes. you for letting me swear, Cam. That's all right. <laughs> That's fine. It needed to be. It, need, it needed swearing in it. I think I felt. I. I. I completely. We. We've. We've. I how many? I mean, God, John. You had. You had to sign off social media for six months for having exactly <laughs> the same kind of rant. I think for. Oh, a, I know. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine having a bit of atmosphere in the stadium? My word, Sam. I, I, I think you know it's. It's not a morgue. I think as I said yeah, at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I got, oh, yeah, just some of the absolute vitriol I got over that as well. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I've said it before in here, any person who sits there thinking that hashtag rugby values is a thing, go on my Twitter <laughs> and have a look through the absolute <laughs> that I had to put up with. I think the other thing as well is it's it's a complete myth. I mean, like you said, oh, you get it on the pitch, right, for 80 minutes, and there's... And, I think maybe maybe club matches are different. Maybe at club matches you do like you know the the spectators should be a bit more respectful because there's only fifty man men and a dog there for eighty <laughs> minutes. So you, you maybe behaviour needs to be a little bit better where it's at a club and you re, you know people are representing clubs and blah 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 blah. An international stadium, I you know anything goes. I think bar fighting. 
but, but even then, Cam, I, I, I said I played in the front row and I've played on the wing. I know a very odd combination in my time. And when playing on the wing, I can remember being in Dunbar and the pitch and the, the picket fence down the side of the pitch there being about two feet from uh, you know from where I was standing as a winger and getting absolute dogs abuse from an old guy that was standing there. And it was hilarious. I mean, he was he was he was spot on. He had me absolute bangs to right. I was a terrible winger. I couldn't <laughs> tackle for toffee, but I did have a pretty magnificent beard at the time. And he commented on all of those features of my game. And you know what? Fair play. It's a bit of crack. I mean, I'm a grown man. I reckon I can take it. I and mean, honestly, yeah, grow up. We've all been, and, and you know, I think I've I've been at dinners, rugby dinners, and let me tell rugby di- the speeches given at rugby dinners. Are not all self-congratulatory, um, you know, clapping. I know oh, recently, very recently, very publicly, um, a, a, an after a rugby dinner went catastrophically wrong, um, <laughs> for the wrong, because the wrong kind of jokes were made. Um, but generally, mostly they consist of people taking the piss out of each other, and rightly so. And it's a grand tradition. I think so long as it doesn't overstep the mark into things that might be slightly, you know, things that are racist and sexist is another matter. But you can quite happily take the out of each other without having to resort to those sorts of stereotypes and it'd be very funny and enjoyable. But if anybody was to look at the speeches, they would probably say, well, where's the, you know, where's the rugby values in that? Oh, that, Damn. that rugby values does my absolute box and it's, it's just ridiculous. What, to be rugby f- values doesn't mean being a right? It no. means being, being open and honest and having a bit of crack. That's what rugby values actually are about, right? And that yeah. means being robust enough to be able to have a bit of knockabout. And it does. I mean, look, we've all sat in international rugby stadiums, or indeed club rugby stadiums, and sat beside opposition fans. And that's why one of the reasons we will all love the game is the fact that you can go yeah. there and you can have that leg pulling with each other. And that leg pulling can be pretty damn close to the bone, right? Yeah. But you sit there and you, do you know what it is? The person next to you takes the absolute merciless mick as your team's getting spanked sideways, and you get up and you go, "Do you want a pint?" Yep, yep. Right. I've that's, had enough of this. Values. I'm off to the beer. I'm off to the tent to get a beer. I've had enough of this. What you having, boys? Exactly. exactly. We had great crack with the. We were having great crack with the guys behind us at sale, and we yeah. were mercilessly taking the <laughs> out of them, and they were taking the <laughs> back. But it was good fun, and like, and they were but genuinely. We had a nice chat with them. They were genuinely interested in George Horn came on, and, and like me and Ian in particular got very excited when George Horn came on. <laughs> and we said, "Watch this!" And lo, they watched, and they said, "He's all right, isn't he?" <laughs> it's, it's that, I, you know, it, it's part of the fun. It's part of the enjoyment. It's not. You know, I used to love going to Berwick Rangers when I was younger, and you know, part of the enjoyment was like standing and taking the mick out of. The away fans and them hurling abuse and you hurling abuse back. It's you know it's part and part part of the great tapestry of of supporting sport of liking sport. If you it's don't, part of what sports there for? Exactly. If yeah, you don't like it, go and watch. People should go and watch badminton or something like that, or squash or something where there's no tiddlywinks somewhere where there's no. You know, maybe the, maybe there is great rivalries in tiddlywinks. I don't know. I'm not okay with my uh, today week travels. I believe that Luxembourg Netherlands derbies faced. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, pints were thrown. Um, What's your hands in the rock then, John? Uh, So it's actually slightly related to this. Um, I am kind of, and actually, it's it's, um, Martin Clark on uh, the Scottish Rugby Forum has mentioned it as well. 
I am fed up with the chat around football fans and the 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 infiltration of football fans into our beautiful hashtag rugby values game. Um, every time something that is untoward or not not uh, in keeping with those values happens, you get the uh, self-righteous, frankly snobbish idiots on social media going, yeah, it's because we sell tickets to football fans, don't you know? <laughs> there was actually someone said we should, uh, this, like, no word of a lie, there was someone who said there shouldn't be public sale of tickets for international <laughs> games because it allows, I quote, non-rugby fans to buy tickets. This person, uh, this was in reaction to the supposed nonsense that happened in the crowd at Murrayfield, this person was then reminded that there wasn't actually a public sale of tickets for the Scotland-England game because the tickets had sold out. So all those people who were there, guess what, folks? They were rugby fans. Yay! Well done. We should be so proud of them. Yeah, yeah I think the, the other thing as well is that it's... Oh. The just this this idea that um, that that we we don't need casual fans that we can do without them, and that's absolutely not the case. You've yep. got all the CVC money coming in, and and the risk with that is they're going to look for broadcasting deals. We we get one well, we get two opportunities a year in rugby to really <coughs> kind of show the game and sell the game and advertise it, and that's the Six Nations and the Autumn Tests. When they're on ter- for Scotland, for Scotland, they're on terrestrial TV, and uh, there's no way that the, the the majority of people that watch those games have any interest in rugby outside in Scotland, outside of the Six Nations and outside of the Autumn Tests. But they sit there, and and maybe their kids watch. Maybe their kids decide to take up rugby. I mean, I that's how I came to. Yeah. My, I mean, my dad liked rugby. Yeah. My dad used to play rugby, but that's that's how I came to the game was because. Yeah. My dad would watch it, so I'd sit and watch it with my dad. You start yeah. sticking, you know, you you exclude the casual fan, and Murrayfield would be <clears> half empty. Yeah, but the, 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 so there's a couple of things here. I mean, and you hit the word, John, when you were talking, you know, on this. It's snobbery, right? You know, they're using the term football fan for basically anyone that's not like a private schoolboy. I mean, it, these comments are invariably coming from, you know, a particular set of that Murrayfield crowd that, yeah. oh, you know, and it is, it's, it's just complete and utter snobbery. And then to go to your point, Cam, you absolutely need to make the game as accessible as possible and as visible as possible to as many people as possible, right? And I'll give, draw a direct comparator. You take what happened with, and not a sport that I'm particularly familiar with, and I won't, maybe many people on the podcast won't be, but cricket down in, in, down in England, right? They put that behind a paywall and participation numbers have completely dropped off. Yeah. Now, mm. rugby in Scotland is such a minority sport as it is. You know, we have lower playing numbers than probably bloody Papua New Guinea does, we right? Have more, we, we have lower player numbers than Kenya. Than Kenya, so there you go. Lower playing numbers than Kenya, and we are trying to aspire to be a consistent sort of top six or seven side in the world. To be able to keep that flow coming through, it needs to be visible, and you need to open the doors to as many people as possible. And the thing that will hold the game back is those sorts of people that sit there and go, this game is not for you. And unfortunately, those people are not just in the stands. That mentality still persists in the structures of the clubs and and, and at a national organisation level in some places. 
there's still more they could be doing to make this game more accessible. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think the other thing that annoys me is when they're like, well, I, I, people that moan about people getting up to get beers mid-match, they're not here to watch the rugby, they're here to drink. It's like, there's, have you ever met a rugby player or a real rugby fan? Every single one of those people, I can guarantee you, going up and getting a pint mid-game is a rugby fan. Just They just want more beer. It's got nothing. Nobody sat there. <laughs> It's only way I've survived a lot of the Scotland games over the last 30 years. If it wasn't for beer, me and Scotland, the Scottish rugby would have fallen out a long time ago. I know. It's like we're not oh, all going to sit there and casually watch the game while, you know, of course we need drink and supplies and it's fine. It's part of the game. If you want, if you don't want people getting up in front of you, then go and watch at home in front of the telly. Yeah, the topic of beer has come up in someone else's hands in the ruck as well. Um, Yvonne Ferguson has. Uh, um, I'm I'm going to I'm going to sort of censor this one because we're not in bleeping territory anymore. But um, so her hands in the ruck was the person that ordered 22 pints at the bar, and the poor guy behind the bar was uh, actually on his first shift. Um, she suggested that there should be a four to six pint limit, which does seem a bit arbitrary. But um, yeah, 22 pints order at the bar that's a good effort no i think that's ridiculous i think that, that oversteps oh, yeah. the bounds of bar etiquette it does yeah you get... uh, i think you i think though you you can cap it it's as much as you can carry one person can carry yeah. so one, if that person can carry 22 that would yeah i think that's fair game no, i was suggesting i was suggesting that we are not allowing though is this sort of like we're not going to allow kind of um carrying aids for, for that person so that that you know whatever you can carry with just the palms of your hands no because you see i like the carrying aids i mean both on a personal level but it's also given me one of the funniest things I ever saw at murrayfield where there was a particularly obnoxious uh opposition fan and and their nationality shall remain anonymous but you can guess yourselves of what nation they came from who stood in front gave the bar staff no end of abuse bought eight pints picked up the two you know the four pint carriers yep, yep. picked up one in each hand and the bottom fell out of both of them and the went all over the place to which about 100 people in the queue did exactly what you did john it was a beautiful <laughs> moment of uh cosmic um Cosmic karma. That, the best part about that is that's about 80 quid down the drain. <laughs> yeah, so you still got the money for it. Yeah, because he, he had to go back to the back of the queue and in, or reorder again. <laughs> <laughs> so it was 160 quid all in. Woo! <laughs> Happy days. Very good. Um, I I haven't got a hands in the ruck this week, sadly. Boo. Boo, as it is. Um, although I've just seen that Menzies Campbell has written a letter to the guardian about booing oh. <laughs> where he's where he's completely misunderstood rob kitson's article i that's maybe that's my hands in the rock i agreed with rob kitson who wrote a very fair balanced yeah. article about booing and the the headline did it no it did it a great disservice because the headline made it look like it was one of the normal rants but actually when you read it he pretty much said we rugby needs to move on and accept that this is just something yeah. that happens now Although he did have a he did have a swipe at podcasters who were trying to be um, controversial for controversy's sake, but I, I safe I think we can safely say that is not us. <laughs> let's let's add some balance to that then. Um, to be fair to Owen Farrell, there's a phrase I never thought I would say. He did not go over his allotted time for his penalties. Uh, this I mean this is something that annoyed me, and okay, this is my hands in the rook now. <laughs> Cabby's just oh, I've just, I've just started now. 
people don't excuse the booing because he took too long to kick. People were booing from the moment he lined up the kick. It's got don't try and excuse it. It's fine. We boo the kicker. We've said it before. This is what happens now in Scotland. We boo the kicker. I think we just have to. People have to just accept it. If you don't like it, just bite your lip and take the medicine because this is what happens at Murrayfield now. Murrayfield is not a pleasant place to be if you are an away team, and that is not a bad thing. And I think, honestly, if you don't like the booing of the kicker, can you not just boo the booer and then it? Oh yeah. Ah yes. Or pretend they're saying boo earns. Boo earns indeed. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's not, and and uh, you know there are plenty of examples throughout time. And I'll tell you something: you watch some old games from the seventies and the sixties, and not every kick, but there's booing. There's always been booing. It's never, it's never not been a thing. It's just, it, it's. I don't want to get too political, but it's, it's almost like Brexit, where people have got a false memory of some sort of grand old, sort of sepia tinged day of yore where everything was perfect and, you know, kind of an idealized version of what their childhood was like, and it's one that doesn't exist. Was it, was it you that shared on Cammy? Was it yourself that shared on Twitter the the Australia England game, uh, or, or was it was it? Oh, G? that was great. That was Graham Love. I retweeted it. Graham Love has, has yeah. done a, he's done the Lord's work in um, stitching together <laughs> every single game that doesn't involve Scotland, uh, where kickers have been booed, including some England games where kickers have been booed. It it happens in rugby. It's not it's not unique to us. And I think if we are going to say if if we can do anything to help the team on the pitch it is to make Murrayfield a horrible nasty place for for opposition teams to come and obviously there are boundaries with that I'm not talking about throwing things at the team which didn't happen the wind blew a bottle towards a man but (laughs) you know is he a man is he I don't even have a problem with people making hand gestures at players as they get off a bus I don't think that's a problem. I think that's, you know, it's like you said, Al, it's part the the moment that they come off the bus in the stadium, it's like they're playing the game and making hand gestures at them is no worse than the dog's abuse they're going to get from the Scotland players when they're on the park. And if the Scotland players aren't giving them dog's abuse, then there is something fundamentally wrong (laughs) with the way that they're being coached. And I would dearly love... If lining up for a kick and Farrell is getting booed, that he felt free to sit and give the universal sign for self-pleasure back to the crowd. I just think it would add a whole new dynamic to the game. Players should be allowed to respond. They should be allowed the right of response, and I think it would make it a much healthier environment. Yeah, really change up that, that sign he does after he nails a kick. Really, really <laughs> he needs to evolve. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I think I believe that's a reference to charity, but I think I think there's definitely space for him to to kind of mix he could, up. He could do it afterwards, couldn't he? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the opposite of the NFL banning sort of over the top celebrations <laughs> a few years ago. We should go the opposite way. You should uh, you should be actively encouraging. You know you know, really sort of insightful. And look, this is a sport. I mean, in, in serious notes, though, the the ridiculousness of this, the, that's not even a word, you know what I mean, the utter stupidity of this. This is a sport where we're complaining about the kicker being booed. 
but we get our knickers all warm and fancy when an opposition team from the other hemisphere comes out and does a war dance about how they're going to slit our throats and kill us. <laughs> right? So, I, I, you know, proportionality here, folks, right? Yeah. Show me the money. That's actually what you're saying. Show me the money. Um, I, I think we'll we'll leave on this. And this is um, Graham Love on Twitter has um, it's it's he's adapted a quote from uh, The Dark Knight, and and this he says, "You see their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. They're only as good as the game allows them to be. I'll show you when the chips are down and they're facing a last minute match winner. These civilized fans, they'll boo the kicker." And I like that a lot. Um, Very good. We will be back next week with um, a review of the Pro 14. Hopefully, hopefully we'll not be met, not not be talking about anything else, anything uh, soap opera wise. Hopefully, that'll all be uh, neatly brushed under the carpet by now, and we can preview the Italy game, focusing solely on the rugby. Um, I doubt that very much. <laughs> um, apologies to anybody who didn't want us to talk about that tonight, but um, yeah, we we, we kind of have to. Um, we're all sick of it as well. Um, for the moment, though, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Al and John. Goodbye. Goodbye.